Welcome to The Peg Doesn't Fit. My name's Eric Steven. And I'm Ryan Bartle. Before we get started today, I just want to give a quick shout out to Jay Gaskell for going on Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review and uh, saying some pretty nice things about us. Appreciate you, Jay Gaskell. And Natasha Kaufman went on to our Facebook page and gave a pretty good post about how she uses OneNote in the classroom. So thank you to you people for coming out there and letting us know what you think. And if the rest of you, if you guys like what you hear, please, I encourage you to go on to the Apple Podcast. We'd appreciate a five-star rating or go to our Facebook page at The Peg Doesn't Fit and leave us a little note about anything that you're doing in the classroom. All right. Uh, Today, what we're going to jump into, Eric, is we're going to talk about evaluations, and you could call those formal, informal. We'll get into that, but we're going to talk about their limitations and some solutions that we have to improve. Let's first talk about the tool that evaluations are used for. I just want to lay this out there, that there's a variety of different kinds of tools out there for evaluating. And we're not gonna necessarily focus on any specific kind of tool because ultimately I don't think the tool really matters. It's how you use that tool. So we're not gonna refer to anything specifically. But the first limitation I wanna talk to with evaluations in terms of who gives those evaluations. A lot of schools are broken down by small groups or maybe it's just the administrator only. Uh, I think that sometimes that doesn't give us a broad enough perspective about what's actually going on. And the, the, the main point that I want to make about the, the limitations of evaluation is the way that teachers view it. A lot of times teachers view it when the administrator comes in the classroom is, oh man, I've got to be on my best behavior because the administrator's in here. I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble. And if, if I, as an administrator, were to rate them, say, on whatever tool we're using low in a particular category, they immediately get super defensive and want to explain how, no, you should have rated me higher because of that. But, but I think that's because we're looking at what evaluations are, is it from the wrong lens in teachers? I don't know, Ryan, what do you think when, a, when an administrator comes in your classroom, what, what are your thoughts as a teacher in terms of your performance? I think it's something good to reflect on is the same way we deal with students. Um, when we give them feedback, sometimes they receive it almost as like, you're, you're uh, putting a summative stamp on what I've just done. And I think it's tough as a teacher receiving that when we see it as a summative stamp on a lesson or whatever, I can see why we get defensive. So I think what we are going to be jumping into is the limitation really lies in using these tools as summative, truly the word evaluations of a teacher's performance when what we want to move into is more of that formative, ongoing coaching and um, well, I just like the word coaching, that coaching model where we're going to give regular feedback. I'll be back in. I know I didn't see everything, Mr. Teacher, um, but I'll come back in and check. Yes, what I saw was low, but I also recognize that I may have missed something. And I think when we just continue to practice that conversation back and forth with teachers and create that feedback loop on a regular basis, that's when teachers will start to maybe, let's say, open up and be more receptive to that. But I think we also have to just be in that regular conversation maybe before some teachers' hard shells might crack and soften. And talking about the coaching and some of the research that I did during this podcast, one of the things that it mentioned was the evaluators are not necessarily given enough training in terms of the coaching so if you were to see something that you didn't uh, that you thought could maybe be better, you know, do you have does the evaluator have the skills to have that conversation with the teacher 
to actually do some coaching. So there's so there's, there's some things that are kind of outside of our control in terms of district training and and whatnot in terms of making sure that evaluators have all the tools because it's one thing to go in and look and see something that maybe could be better or maybe you see something that's great and you want to leave a positive comment but it's another thing to take it to the next step and find that time to sit down and have that conversation with that teacher in terms of everything that you saw and how things could be improved upon. So let's look at that first limitation that we're noticing is just the sheer amount of people that need to be evaluated versus the limited amount of people that are actually doing the evaluations in kind of our current state in education. I think we have a great opportunity to capitalize on the power of our peers and use that to our advantage. Because one of the things you mentioned, Eric, is that you need to have those follow-up conversations or you're all, we're also noticing that I may have not made it into your classroom to see everything. And the more people we have doing this, there's that strength in numbers of many hands make light work. And if we have, the more people we have doing this, almost the more time we have to do it. I, I love the word decentralization, which is something I brought up in the last one, but I think the more we break that apart versus going to a centralized few evaluators to more a decentralized peer model, um, where I can have my teacher next door maybe be my peer or, or whatever, she can stop in maybe m way more regularly and just peek in and say, oh my gosh, I just saw this, that was awesome. Or, hey, I missed that last time. And those, those quick conversations, almost like the water cooler talk of the stereotypical office, those can get that feedback back into the hands of the teacher that was observed much quicker. Well, let's talk about that though, because in order to implement any kind of thing where you're going to encourage some peer evaluations, which I think is a great idea because it's always better to hear from people that are in the trenches with you together, you know, because sometimes you hear some feedback from an administrator and the teacher might say they haven't been in the classroom forever. They, they don't really know what's going on. But, but if you actually talk to your peer, you know, they're experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing on a regular basis. But what I've noticed is, is that you've got to establish a culture where people feel comfortable talking yeah. to their peers about certain things because, you know, nobody ever wants to give anybody bad news. You know, if you go into a classroom and you see something that's just not working, you know, you, you don't want to, as a peer, talking to, talking to a fellow teacher, you don't want to say, hey, that was really terrible. But how do you set up an environment that allows for those two teachers to have a safe conversation about what they saw and because the ultimate goal of evaluations is not like to get you like, ooh, I saw this, I'm going to get you and make sure that I point out all your flaws. The ultimate goal of evaluation is to help improve in teaching. So, so have you been a part of that in the past where you have seen a culture that is developed that allows those peers to have those conversations in a safe manner? Uh, informally, yes. Uh, I've, I've been able to just have, have a teacher pop in and check on this certain technique, or maybe the instructional coach could do that. And I, I have not seen that widespread enough, which is why I think we're addressing this, is that it's just hard to ever find right now a school that does this model. But what I've seen in small pieces is where I've said to a neighboring teacher, hey, can you even give me advice on this particular issue? And I think that's where we have to start is first with personally identified shortcomings, so to speak. And that's where we feel 
even though it's a vulnerable issue for us, perhaps it's one that we felt safe enough to share as a weakness. Whereas I think the evaluative models that are just check the boxes don't don't account for that when they, they're coming in. They're just saying, I'm going to look for any strength and any weakness. Whereas I think the way you start to develop those cultures is saying, okay, teachers, what do you want to improve on first? And it allows them to have ownership in what's being evaluated. On. Yeah, that sounds that sounds very good. Having teachers identify what they want to have focused on. And then, so it turns the evaluation into more of a focused one. You also talked about instructional coaches. And I think those are people that are not utilized enough in the evaluation model. And, and I'll back up a little bit and say, because sometimes they're not utilized because when we think of evaluations, we're always thinking of like the word evaluation. And this counts like towards an annual evaluation. These peer walkthroughs, or even like I'd like to introduce the opportunity for instructional coaches to go in and have these walkthroughs, they don't necessarily need to count towards someone's formal evaluation in terms of their employment status. These are just, this is what we're talking about is changing the culture of a school in terms of teachers being willing to allow more people in their classroom to help them benefit as instructors. So I think it's important to know that that when we're talking about evaluations, if we if we can get our mindset off of it being always on the formal evaluation and, and the stuff that's going in the teacher file, these are just evaluations to help improve instruction. And I think utilizing our peers and then utilizing the instructional coach also can be of great value to improving teaching. Another type of evaluation that I saw on, you know, the research preparing for this podcast is using student evaluations. You know, I read this article that said, if you ask the students the right questions, they will give you answers. And who better to give feedback on teacher performance than the people that are sitting in the classroom 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you have the, the teacher next door come in or an instructional coach come in, yes, they might be coming in frequently, but they're not there for the ins and outs. So I, I think that schools should be willing to set up a format to listen to the people that are being taught on a regular basis. And that could also be part of improving as an instructor. I know as a teacher, I would give those informal evaluations all the time to students, you know, and and as a teacher, I also had to be willing to receive that feedback. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not always the most positive, but sometimes, you know, the negative feedback, we need to be able to swallow that and accept that and and change from what we hear from our students. I, what I'm hearing actually in both of these things with the student um, feedback and with peer feedback and even, well, let's call it boss feedback loops. <laughs> uh, the flip side benefit of this too is this powerful learning opportunity. And within my brief time in the manufacturing world, I learned about this term called GEMBA, which is G-E-M-B-A, but it's going to where the work is done And when people are able to uh, hear or see the way work is happening in a a space that's maybe unfamiliar to them, or I go to a neighboring teacher's classroom to see something they want help on, I can learn a lot from them too. 
or the students when they are asked to give feedback about a lesson to a teacher or about teaching style to a teacher, I think that also gives them some learning for, oh, this is how a well-run classroom is supposed to go, or this is the goal. And so you have this whole extra realm of this learning benefit from people on the other side of that observation. The ones doing the observation or giving the feedback can learn an incredible amount of things too. That's a, that's a great point because a lot of times when I, when I do see a teacher that's struggling with a certain concept or a, a certain style of teaching, I will often recommend that they take some time to go sit in another teacher's classroom because sometimes when you're teaching, you're so, you're so inside your own little bubble of your classroom that you can't think outside of the box or think of different ways. But if you can see another teacher that is having success with their students and keep in mind, this is not like, you know, I talked about in the last episode, we're not watching some instructional video of, of, a, of a classroom that the teacher's mic'd up and there's five cameras trying to catch all the different angles and the kids are on their best behavior. I mean, if a teacher pops in a classroom, they're gonna see something real. And if they see a teacher having great success with a particular strategy or a particular style of teaching, you know, they may leave some pretty positive feedback for that teacher. But on the flip side, they're going to learn, hey, maybe I could try that. So it's really kind of a double edged sword on that evaluation because we're helping give feedback to the teacher that we're observing. But as the observer, we're also learning additional strategies and ways to do differently things differently in our own classrooms. And what that develops is collective efficacy, which we know is a powerful effect size for student learning and for teacher learning. Absolutely. The, the more we do this, it's just going to enhance and strengthen our culture as a building because we're going to adopt this philosophy that we are all in this together. Oh, you read my mind. Those are the words I wanted to say. Beautiful. <laughs> so so if, if we have a school where from the top down, we are all in this together and we're all moving towards the same common purpose, then, then it's just going to be one, it's going to be a happier place to work. It's going to be someplace that you're looking forward to working in because you really like and care for the people that you're working for. And also, you know, that you can trust the, the level of trust goes up just substantially that you can trust the people you're working with because you know that everybody is working together to help each other improve. So off before we started this, you and I were talking and you had, you had suggested the idea that we should, could use some of our collective observations to drive our PD. Um, how do you tell us more? How do you see that working? Well, I think, you know, like I said before, the, the tool that, that you use for an observation is not what's important. I think, I think whatever tool you use, it needs to drive your professional development. And, and we've talked in the past, in the last episode about professional development, where that doesn't always need to come from an instructional coach. It can be a collaborative thing that comes from our peers as well. But let's let's say that you have a an observation tool that says got 15 different things, or, or in some cases, some districts have observation tools with as many as 50 different things that we're going to look for. I mean, it's not realistic to go in and have this broad tool that you're going to look for 50 different things. But if you can start to narrow that down, because here's what I've noticed over the course of my career. That tool may be introduced during report week or, or it may be kind of skimmed over in a professional development session. 
but how often do we go in and really dive deep into the tool? So let's say that you've got an observation tool with 20 different things that a, that administrator is supposed to look for when they go in the classroom. You know, you could break that down into, say, monthly chunks and say, this month we're really going to focus on these three things from that tool and really have some deep, thoughtful and, and digging into those those strategies within the professional development. And then the hope is, is that when you go into the classroom, you're actually going to see what's happening within professional development. So I think using the observation tool to drive your professional development and really, because how else can you, I mean, as a teacher, you can't give a test to kids over a concept that you haven't taught. So why would it be fair to evaluate and grade a teacher over concepts that aren't really taught how to do? Does mm-hmm. that make sense, Ryan? It does. And and I'm kind of trying, I'm thinking of some good in my head, all these analogies within how we teach our kids and how it's often not the same as what we're expecting for how we teach ourselves as as professionals. And so... You're right. I wouldn't just throw out, well, sometimes we do, but we wouldn't ideally uh, just give our students a syllabus of here's what you're going to learn this year and I'll surprise you every once in a while and check on your progress. That doesn't work. We, we are regularly with them saying, okay, here's, here's our next skill we're practicing and here's why we're doing this. And we chunk that out throughout the, the whole year. And obviously there are some limitations with that. But I think we do a much better job in the classroom than we do in our professional development sessions of de- uh, scaffolding the learning and making sure that we're going through these things piece by piece. I think there's this there's this assumption that, well, we had that in school. You already knew that's best practices for teaching. Um, but we all need refreshers and we need to think back through those. And we all need differentiated PD to go you know what, actually, that's one I'm really good at, but this next one I'm not so good at, and I know that about myself, or I want to learn about it in a different lens. So I think that is a great opportunity that you bring up with PD for how to do that differently. And the other thing is if your tool is set up in a way that is electronic and collects data, you know, you can post in this, say, professional development room. All schools have a professional development room. Who the leader is, it doesn't matter. Even if you're going to be doing teacher-led professional development, you can still meet in the professional development room. But within that room, you might on the wall have posters with bar graphs of, you know, the amount of, of times that this particular strategy is seen and, and the quality in which that strategy so uh, it's it's visual so the teachers can see it. And then it also allows the building to kind of reflect to say, OK, so this month we worked on these three strategies. Now let's look at the data chart and oh, my goodness. So out of out of 100 walkthroughs, we only saw that strategy in action seven times. Um, maybe we need to look at the way that we led our PD because clearly we didn't do it appropriately because it did not translate in the classroom. And ultimately, if professional development is not transitioning and and completely being seen in the classroom, then it's not working. It's like as a teacher, and we teach this all the time, I mean, if you teach a concept and then you give a test and the kids bomb on that concept, it's not the kid's fault. It's your fault for not correctly teaching it in a way that the kids understood it, that they could spit it back to you in a test to show you that they understand. 
So if we're given PD over certain strategies and we aren't seeing them in the classroom, then I've got to say as an administrator, I need to step back and say, wait a second, that's not the teacher's fault. That's my fault in terms of how I delivered the instruction of that strategy and professional development because it clearly didn't translate into the classroom. That's true. And it looks like we're hitting our 20 minute mark. So I think to wrap this up, we'd just like to hear from you. What are some evaluation models that you've seen that have worked in your building? Or have you been a part of a culture that actually kind of developed that collective efficacy, uh, professional learning community that was truly a community building wide uh, through pure observations, et cetera? What successes have you seen in your own buildings? I don't know that this is a space to complain about because we all know the limitations of this, but we do want to hear where have you seen successes or what were the, the strategies used within your leadership to kind of get that going? And as always, we, we're always looking for your outside the box ideas. And, and maybe you could give us an outside the box idea that might spurn an entire podcast in itself. Uh, again, you can get a, you can contact us through our email, the peg doesn't fit at gmail.com. We are on Facebook right now also. So that would be facebook.com slash the peg doesn't fit. And I'll also put a link into our anchor website. You can always leave a voicemail. And if you were to leave a voicemail, we'll actually play that voicemail on the podcast. So if you want to get some airtime on the podcast, go to our anchor site and leave us a voicemail. What are some takeaways that you had from today's episode, Ryan? Uh, my my big one is is the challenge, but the exciting opportunity, I'll call it, to both build that collective efficacy within the teaching staff and then use that for to drive our PD. Um, and and I, I think that's an exciting opportunity that we have. Yeah. And I also like the idea of PD and walkthroughs being very closely aligned. But but I really and something I hadn't thought about as much, you know, when I was doing that research, finding the opportunity to provide students time to voice their opinions Mm -hmm. and listening to kids because they're the ones that are receiving the education on a daily basis and they're the ones in the classroom watching what the teachers are doing and i don't know if we have enough opportunities to give them a platform to tell us what they feel is really happening in the classroom. So so I think finding the opportunity to get the student voice in there also can help our teachers improve and ultimately uh, provide a better education to the student. Well, that's all for today. Uh, We look forward to talking with you next time next week on The Peg Doesn't Fit. As always, go on to the Apple podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. See you next time.